This is Steve Kim. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you speak the language of our culture and address questions raised with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect. Today, I'm with Andre Schutten. He is the Director of Law and Policy and General Legal Counsel for ARPA Canada. Um, and we'll get into that in just a moment. For those of you that have been following us, at least since last year, you'll recognize his name. He's been on the podcast to discuss the uh, Trinity Western University Law School case before. He was also one of the panelists for the 2019 Apologetics Canada Conference keynote uh, Friday night event. Andre, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Steve. Thanks for having me on. So tell us a little bit about ARPA Canada and what it is that you do with ARPA. Yeah, so ARPA stands for the Association for Reformed Political Action. So reform just refers to the reformed theological tradition, and we're an association that tries to bring uh, the reformed community in particular and the broader Christian community in general into the political realm. So we have a two-part mission. The first is to get Christians educated, equipped, and encouraged to be politically engaged. And then the second part of our mission is to bring a biblical perspective to our civil governments. So that can be in the legislatures or in in courts, in court cases. Right on. Now, I, I just want to touch on this before we move on to the topic of the day. We're going to talk about Bill C-6 and the conversion therapy ban. Before we get into all of that, I just want to get this out of the way, especially because um, I used to attend a Mennonite Brethren church and just the Anabaptist tradition being what it is, a lot of Christians there tend to be sort of almost have this allergic reaction to getting involved in the realm of politics. So from your perspective, should Christians even get involved in politics? What is the proper engagement? What does that look like for a Christian in the realm of politics? Yeah, I think absolutely Christians should be engaged in politics. Of course, I'm biased. My employer is a Christian employer that <laughs> makes me be in, engaged in politics and is a mission of my organization. But, but I mean, I wouldn't work here if I didn't believe it. Uh, yeah, Christians should be engaged in politics. Why? Because Jesus Christ is not only Lord of the church and Lord of my uh, soul and Lord of my Christian family. He is Lord over all of creation, every sphere of it. And his gospel has good things to say and is, and when is applied to all of life, that's a blessing to everybody, whether they recognize it or not. And so, there's certain things, certain principles that we've been gifted in Scripture that we can apply to all realms of life, including issues of justice, issues of righteousness. And I think there's, there's many texts in Scripture that speak about how Christians or how the church should be influencing, in a positive way, civil government. Now, that shouldn't be confused with, you know, mixing up the institution of the church with the institution of the state. Those are two separate institutions with two separate callings and sets of responsibilities. But uh, we shouldn't go so far as to say, well, then Christians should never try to influence uh, civil government. In a constitutional democracy, Christians have a role to play. I believe they're, they have a calling as citizens to be participants, winsome participants in politics. 
All right. Yeah, I get this sort of from both ends, if you will. So on the one hand, I have friends who are Christians who are hesitant to get involved in politics. But then on the other hand, I have friends uh, who are atheists and agnostics, very secular humanists, uh, kind of a perspective where they they say, well, your religion has no place in my government. Now, we won't get into all of that, but for those listeners who are interested, Andre actually gave a talk at our conference last year on the separation of church and state, uh, whether that is separation of church and state or faith and politics, where he argues it's actually the separation of church and state, not faith and politics. So I'll recommend that to you. And let's jump into the main topic of the day today. Before we do that, just one more comment. I should remind our listeners that Apolitics Canada is not a partisan organization. It's not even a political organization, even though we do touch on that topic from time to time like we're doing today. But just so we're clear, the purpose of this edition of the AC Podcast is not advocacy, but it is to keep you listeners informed. So recently, we've been getting emails from different listeners about Bill C-6. And given the interest level um, and the demand for us to address the issue, I thought it would be wise for us to pick this up. Honestly, I wasn't very familiar with Bill C-6 until I started doing more research lately. And I'm seeing all kinds of concerns coming, especially from religious communities, so on and so forth. And so I want to dig into all of that with you today, Andre. Mm -hmm. Um, But first, could you tell us a little bit about the history of Bill C-6? What is this bill and the proponents of this bill? What are they seeking to accomplish through this bill? Mm -hmm. So, first of all, a bill is something that's being debated or discussed in Parliament that, if passed, will become law. So, it's not yet law, but it's a proposed law. So, Bill C-6 is a bill that proposes to criminalize conversion therapy in Canada. So, the criminal law, the criminal code in Canada is is the – it's basically the, the harshest law that we have in order to suppress bad behavior, right? So that's where we prohibit things like murder and rape and theft and so on. And, and so I'm thankful for our criminal code. So – Yeah, this bill proposes to add prohibitions on conversion therapy, to make it illegal to provide it to uh, children, to non-consenting adults, to advertise for it, or to uh, make a profit by providing it. Now, the big question, of course, is, well, what is conversion therapy? How do you define that term? In the popular imagination, conversion therapy is harmful, discredited, old practices, pseudoscientific practices like using electrical shock therapy in order to try to make a gay man straight or using, you know, heavy pharmaceuticals to basically completely remove any sort of um, libido or sex drive from, you know, a gay man or a lesbian woman in order to try to change their orientation or change their sexual desires away from uh, homosexual towards heterosexual. That's what is in the popular imagination, I think. But when you look at the actual definition of conversion therapy in Bill C-6, it's actually quite troubling in how broad of a definition it is. It's actually quite broad. So I've got the bill right here in front of me, and it defines conversion therapy as a practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual or gender identity to cisgender or to repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior. 
So it's a bit problematic because, you know, particularly for the church, but also for secular counselors and social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, it's a very broad definition in the criminal code here. And there's certain things that are addressed either through counseling or through pastoral work that might reduce sexual behavior, for example, which could be captured by this definition. And, and again, like we're talking criminal code amendment here. So that, that means if you violate it, you're looking at maximum five years in prison or hefty fines or both. So there's there's the potential here for a chilling effect. Uh, and let's just limit it to the church, a chilling effect on the ministry of the church to help people who have genuine questions, genuine struggles about who they are, where they belong, how they should live, how they should understand themselves to be as individuals in, in this confusing world that we live in. Mm-hmm. So, let's talk a little bit more about that conversion therapy, because I, from what I've seen, it seems that a lot of this revolves around that definition. Mm-hmm. So, for one, is conversion therapy like the kind that we talked about earlier with, you know, electric shocks and, and hormonal therapies and things like that? Is that still being practiced in Canada? Because I'm hearing conflicting things. On the one hand, mm-hmm. I'm hearing, no, that sort of thing was in the past. It doesn't happen anymore. But then I listen to LGBTQ activists and they're saying, yeah, this is very much being practiced in Canada right now. Is that because of that sort of disjointed definition or are those kinds of things that we talked about earlier, like electric shocks and things like that, that old kind of discredited practices, that's still going on today in Canada? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at the Justice Committee hearings, uh, the House of Common Justice Committee is is actually studying this bill right now. Um, and, and at the committee hearing, they, they heard from a witness named Dr. Zucker. He's one of the world's leading psychologists or psychiatrists when it comes to gender dysphoria in children. And he made the point that the type of conversion therapy that's coercive and tries to change person's sexual orientation through these kinds of practices like electrical shock therapy, shaming rituals, um, you know, pharmaceuticals, that kind of stuff, that it's just, it hasn't been practiced for quite a long time in the regulated professions. Mm-hmm. So psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, and so on. Those are regulated professions. That type of stuff does not happen and has not been happening in Canada for years and years, he said. Now, that said, if we define conversion therapy much broader than that, there's one particular activist who's been behind a lot of these conversion therapy bans at the municipal level, particularly in the province of Alberta. Uh, his name is Dr. Christopher Wells, and he defines conversion therapy to include Spiritual prayer, for example. He says spiritual prayer is a form of conversion therapy. So if you define it that broadly, well then, yeah, I mean, I would admit that conversion therapy happens if that's how you define it. But to be clear for your for your listeners, I don't define it that way. Right. And, and what's your reading on this on the sort of the public level that you've seen anyway? Mm-hmm. Are people aware of generally speaking, of that distinction between that old discredited form of conversion therapy and the way it's defined in the bill that that is said to be too broad? Uh, what, what's your reading on that? Yeah, I think I think that um, I think that it's a nuanced discussion for the people who want to get into it. I've read enough, you know, mainstream news articles by various journalists uh, or opinion writers that, you know, where they're dismissive of Bill C6, where they say it's not a big deal. Just it's clear from when you read what they've written, they haven't actually read the bill or thought about it for very long. They haven't looked at the definition and pondered, well, what what's the implications of such a broad definition? 
But where you see the few experts in the field that have um, read the bill and have considered its impact on the professions like psychology or uh, counseling and so on, or you know, religious experts, uh, experts in religious freedom, for example, who look at it and say, no, there's definitely a problem here. Those experts definitely are raising the alarm and saying, I think it's, it's generally universal across the country. We, we all agree that conversion therapy properly understood, should be banned. Uh, the problem is is it comes down to this definition. Yeah. And so so I think the voices like Dr. Zucker's, there was another professional psychologist who presented yesterday as well, you know, an openly gay man said, look, I too believe that there's big problems in how this bill lacks nuance. It needs way more nuance. It's complicated dealing with questions of gender dysphoria in children, for example. And this kind of a bill will send a chill for psychiatrists and psychologists to not treat people who are looking for help. Yeah, so I read the bill, and right now the only thing that's published is the first reading of the bill. I don't know if there have been any amendments made to the bill since, but from what I read, just reading through the summary at the top and the bill at the bottom, at first I didn't really see anything problematic here other mm-hmm. than now that I'm aware of the whole issue of the definition that that's one thing but just at my first reading I, I thought man like okay so you're you want to criminalize causing a person to undergo conversion therapy against the person's will for example that that seems good to me or causing a child to undergo conversion therapy and I'm assuming you know there's the whole issue of consent that's a little bit more nuanced with a child, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So I I understand that. But just kind of from that reading, it just seemed because we at Apologetics Canada too, we we oppose the kinds of old discredited practices that harms people in that way, you know, electric shock or hormonal therapy and those kinds of things that were done in a coercive manner. We oppose that. And so I think you're right. Like generally people, when people hear that, you know, they'll say, okay, that's, Sure. What kind of decent person would oppose banning them? Oh, but yeah. What I hear yeah. you saying is that definition is too broad that could capture much more than is intended. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk about that a little bit. How does this bill, how could this potentially play out for those who are seeking help, let's say, for unwanted feelings of homosexuality or gender dysphoria? Because it's one thing to hold somebody against his or her will and coercively do this. But what about people who come voluntarily uh, with unwanted feelings like this? Does this definition, would that capture them as well? Yeah. So if the bill passes as it is unamended, then if it's an adult who's looking for therapy or counseling, you know, talk therapy, like this is the other thing. Most, if not all of therapy these days is done through talk therapy and almost all of it through questions from the therapist or the counselor. They ask questions and, and they guide uh, their patient or their client through a number of questions to help them see bigger pictures and, and to consider other things. So again, you know, not at all the type of thing that used to be practiced. And again, we as a Christian community absolutely should condemn what has happened in the past. So if it's an adult who says, look, I consent to this and this is what I want. I want to be able to talk to a counselor who helps me actually reduce, let's say it's a gay man who who, who says, look, I want to put my identity in Jesus Christ as my primary identity, my first identity. I want to bring all of my thoughts and my words and my actions and my behaviors into conformity with his word. And that person says, and I believe that that means I need to be celibate. 
and I want help with that, and I want to see a pastor or a counselor to help me with that, well, that person can get that help, but it's going to be hard for that person to find that help because advertising is banned and you can't make a profit off of it. So you can't make a living off of doing that kind of uh, help. Interestingly, if you're a heterosexual man and you said, look, I, I want to make a decision to live a celibate life for Christ, but I'm going to need help to do that. And uh, you can get that help. In fact, uh, you can get that help readily and that's no problem for you. So so in a, in a twisted irony, uh, this bill actually discriminates against the very people that it says it's helping in that a gay man won't be able to access that help, but a heterosexual person would be able to access that help. So that's a bit of a problem. On top of that, there is one, at least one member of the committee who's been pretty vocal at the Justice Committee who says he wants to criminalize it even for consenting adults. And his his argumentation has been that he believes conversion therapy is a type of torture. Nobody can consent to torture. Therefore, it should be criminalized across the board. And even people who consent to it shouldn't have access to it because it's torture. That's his line of reasoning. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I noticed in the bill, I mean, for the most part, like I said earlier, I didn't find it very problematic. But right in the preamble, so basically the preamble is where you give the justification for this bill, right? And right. and at the beginning it says, whereas conversion therapy causes harm to the persons and in particular the children who are subjected to it. And it says, mm-hmm. um, it goes on to talk about how it causes harm to society because it propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation and gender identity, including the myth that a person's sexual orientation and gender identity can and ought to be changed. I, I found that a little puzzling because I, I've i seen a lot of these kinds of detransitioning videos from people who are having they regress after they've gone through the transition surgery and everything and they want to go back. Or I've seen studies that say, you know, most children, by the time they reach adulthood, they grow out of these uh, these feelings that they might have. And certainly there are those that don't. And so right from the preamble, like, am I reading this wrong or does this seem off to you? Yeah, I think I think that this this preamble actually shows, and this is going back to your opening question that we started with about, you know, uh, faith and politics mixing and so on. This preamble actually shows that Bill C-6 is a deeply religious bill. Mm-hmm. It's going to deeply religious or philosophical questions. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be male and female? Do our biological bodies matter in our sense of self? Do our biological bodies matter in the eyes of the law? Uh, How do we as a society interact with each other as it relates to our subjective sense of self, our perceived sense of self, and our, you know, our objective reality as it relates to our, you know, our biological sexed beings. So those questions are all religious and philosophical questions, and they're not really, you know, um, you know, scientific or legal questions as much. And I just point that out because, because when people say, well, Christians, we, we don't want your faith to mix with politics, or we don't want the intersection of church and state, well, I'd say, well, like particularly on faith and politics, the question is not whether we should allow faith to influence politics, it's which faith is going to influence politics. And this, what you're looking at with Bill C-6, is a deeply secular humanist, Gnostic faith influencing the law. These kinds of ideas about a self-perceived gender that's different from the biological self comes out of a Gnosticism that's actually 3,000 years old. So it's actually a really old idea, and it's just it's coming back in new, updated language. 
So tell our listeners a little bit more about Gnosticism for those who might not be very much into like ancient philosophies, let's say. What does Gnosticism teach and how does it relate to this question uh, specifically with transgenderism, um, but also homosexuality and those kinds of things. Yeah. Oh boy. Okay. So that's a really big question. Um, and and I, I would defer to books like Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy, who's a Christian apologist. Mm-hmm. She she wrote an, an excellent book on this where she tackles this as well. But the, one of the basic ideas of Gnosticism is that the physical, uh, the biological, the material is bad generally. It's, it's not good. It shouldn't be given any priority in our lives. So that what is the good, uh, it, the thing to attain for and, and to elevate above all else is more the mystical or the um, the spiritual. Like that's really good and the physical is bad. A, a holistic Christian worldview and approach to being human is that our soul, uh, which is spirit, and our self, our, our bodies, which is physical uh, or biological, the two are completely and totally integrated and they're both created good. And so we don't separate, you don't want to separate that and you don't want to elevate one over the other. We don't elevate our physicality over our soul, nor do we elevate our, our spirituality over our physicality, but rather treat it as a holistic whole. And so, uh, yeah, that has implications for our understanding of anthropology. What does it mean to be human? And has implications for law. And so, if you have an individual, sometimes young children, other times uh, older adults, who are struggling with who they are, they have these deep existential questions about who they are and they maybe they feel like I have this sense that I'm a female trapped in a male body. A Gnostic approach says, well, the body is this lower form. It can be uh, uh, modified or changed to suit or fit your sense of self, your spirit. Uh, whereas uh, I think a Christian approach says, no, no, our sense of self can be, um, we can ask questions and we can we can engage with our sense of self, our subjective sense of self, in order to conform our thoughts and our beliefs and our ideas with physical reality, with our biological selves. And so a Christian and and has been actually a medical approach for, for centuries has always been, let's address the mind to bring it into conformity with physical reality rather than changing your physical reality through drugs or through surgeries and so on to try to make your body conform to your sense of self. Before we continue, a message from Andy. Andy Steiger here. On behalf of Apologetics Canada, I want to say a big thank you for all your support. We are now 63% of the way to our double your impact matching donation campaign of $100,000. You have until December 31st to donate. With the new year fast approaching, I also wanted to let you know that we have the Thinking Series online course starting up in January. You can take this Introduction to Apologetics course for fun, certificate, and college credit. This year, we are limiting enrollment so as to include a one-on-one mentorship opportunity with Steve and myself for all students. Get all the details at apologeticscanada.com forward slash courses forward slash thinking. And now, back to Steve's interview with Andre Schutten. Now, let's come back to Bill C-6, help our listeners understand the process. So when a bill is introduced, it goes through several readings, and then ultimately it receives the royal assent at the end. Mm-hmm. So what's that yeah. process like? Right. So uh, so a bill is introduced. That's called first reading. Then there's a, a little bit of debate in the House of Commons. And then uh, there's a second reading when it's read off again. And then there's a vote at second reading. That vote 
if it passes, sends a bill to a particular committee. So there's all kinds of committees in the House of Commons that specialize in different topics, a health committee, national defense committee, and a justice committee, just three examples. So this bill went to the justice committee. There's overwhelming support to say, look, we agree with the general thrust of this bill. We're going to send it to, to the justice committee. It's at the committee where amendments can be made, incidental or relatively minor tweaks can be made to a bill to strengthen it or to fix or add nuance or, or, or what have you. And that's where organizations that have expressed concern about this bill are working hard to see if we can't get some amendments made to make this bill a better bill. So the committee has the power to amend it, it can or not, and then it re- sends it back to the House of Commons with whatever updated language it wants. And then it gets debated again once more in the House of Commons. A few people, uh, members of parliament, are allowed to speak to it yet. And then there's a vote at third reading. And then that vote, if it passes, it kicks the bill into the Senate. The same process happens in the Senate. First reading, second reading, committee, third reading. And then uh, if it passes third reading, then it gets royal assent. It becomes law. Mm -hmm. So where is this bill at right now in this process? Yeah, so it's at the Justice Committee uh, right now uh, in the House of Commons. Yeah, in the House of Commons. So, okay, so this is before it gets kicked over to the Senate, mm-hmm. right? So it's still in the first round of first, second, third readings. Okay, yeah. So that's that's where it is. Um, has there been any amendments made to the bill since it was introduced, or is it still the same? Yeah, so that happens at the very end of the committee. So first okay. the committee, yeah, they'll first hear from witnesses. So uh, experts and, and other people who have been affected by the issue come and they speak and they share their testimony and they get questioned by the members of the committee. And after all of the experts and, and various others, all of those witnesses give their testimony, then they do what's called a clause by clause. So each member of the committee is allowed to propose amendments to the bill and they explain what their amendment is and why they support it. And they ask the other committee members to support their amendment, and then they vote on that amendment, yes or no. And if it's a yes, it gets added to the bill or taken away from the bill, whichever type of amendment they're trying to create. And if it's a no, then oh, the amendment gets scrapped and you move on to the next one. And they just work their way through the whole bill that way. Okay. So I suspect that that will wrap up with this bill uh, in short order, probably before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And then and then we'll see this bill head to the, to the Senate early in 2021. Okay. Another question that I had is I'm hearing a lot of concerns coming from religious communities, but just the circles that I run in, it's Mm -hmm. primarily from the Christian communities. But are there other religious communities that are concerned about this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, within the Jewish and Muslim communities as well, um, I'm hearing some concern. It's not as uh, not as vocal, but it is there. Uh, in fact, there's an excellent written submission from CJA, which is the Canada-Israel Jewish Affairs Group. And, and uh, so that's a, a Jewish community where they've proposed an amendment that they would believe would be really helpful, would strengthen the bill, and, and I fully endorse it. Yeah, so so it's definitely other others are, are concerned as well. But Christian counselors and pastors are right to be concerned. Um, the impact on the religious community, the Christian community, to love and support and, and encourage um, young people in particular, but also adults who are just struggling really with with existential questions, with questions about sexual ethics and so on. They need to be able to get 
the help they need from the church. The church has answers, and we need to be free to give those answers and offer the support in a non-coercive way, which I think is is so yeah so so important. So when when leaders of the religious communities and others who are concerned about this bill, when they want to amend the definition, so when they're seeking amendment, what kind of amendment are they looking for? Are they seeking to add something that exempts you know religious leaders and christian counselors or muslim counselors for that matter that exempts them that protects them or are they uh, trying to define conversion therapy more clearly in the sense that okay the kind of conversion therapy we're talking about is the old discredited practice that doesn't include the kind of talk therapy so on and so forth or is it both Mm-hmm. Yeah, so definitely I'm hearing across the board those who are expressing concern about the definition that what we need is not an exemption so that Christian pastors get to do this evil thing that otherwise no one else is allowed to do. We don't want an exemption. We want to clarify, uh, we want a clarification that pastoral ministry, good counseling, you know, being able to help a child with gender dysphoria and so on in, again, non-coercive, non-intrusive ways – that that is not conversion therapy. And we got to make that clear in the law. It is not conversion therapy. And so that's, I think, been the universal approach from everyone who has expressed concern about this is to clarify. We're looking for clarification, not exemptions, clarifications in the law. Yeah. So what are some things that are being done to push back against this definition that is said to be too broad? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely uh, a, a lot of organizations that that have expressed concern through written submissions, through through meetings with members of parliament, with the justice uh, minister and his staff, uh, with the justice committee itself, but then also just average Canadians who are also concerned have been uh, communicating with their you know members of parliament as well, and and I think that's so important. And again, going back to your first question, should Christians be involved? Like that's a way that Christians can be involved. Is you have a representative in Ottawa and you can express your concern to them. So if if your listeners are looking for ways to do that in an easy way, they can go to arpacanada.ca/c6. And there we have just a few basic talking points on this and, and a very easy way for you to, to connect with your own member of parliament and make your voice heard. And again, for the Christian, we emphasize this a, a lot. It's about uh, being relational and winsome. We want not to express ourselves angrily and belligerently, that's not appropriate, but rather to come alongside our elected leaders, put in authority over us by God and say, hey, we want to help and we want to make sure our voice is heard too. And, you know, this bill is troublesome and this is a way it could be fixed. This is a way it could be supported by all kinds of different Canadians all across this country. Um, Was there anything else that you wanted to bring up with regard to this bill that our listeners should know about? Yeah, I think think that there's many in the church that might get very nervous about this bill, right? If it passes, it's understandable that pastors, elders uh, might be like, oh, you know, we've got to tread really carefully now about, about some of these issues. And, and uh, I have a quote from Nancy Piercy, uh, again, who I have a lot of respect for. And, sh- and she wrote, again, in her book, Love Thy Body, she said this, as we, as we work through controversial moral issues, it is crucial to bear in mind the main goal. It is not, first of all, to persuade people to j- change their behavior, Rather, it is to tear down barriers to becoming Christian. No matter who we are addressing or what moral issue that person is struggling with, their first need is to hear the gospel and experience the love of God. 
That's end quote. That's from page 260 of her book, Love Thy Body. And I believe, Steve, that when we start with that and we pray and trust the Spirit to do His work, we can be confident that God uh, will bring into His fold those whom He will, no matter what Caesar plans to prohibit. Thank you so much for all of your words of wisdom and insight on this particular issue that is very, very controversial right now. Um, finally, if our listeners want to learn more about your work with ARPA Canada or ARPA Canada in general, uh, as you say, where would you send them? Yeah, uh, we're on uh, on the web, arpacanada.ca. So it's A-R-P-A Canada.ca. Tons of our information is there. We do policy, research, legal interventions, um, all of that kind of stuff. It's all listed there. And you can also follow us on Facebook. We post regularly on Facebook. Uh, ARPA Canada is on Facebook and then on Twitter and Instagram as well. Okay, well, thank you again so much, Andre, for taking some time out of your busy schedule to inform our listeners. You've been listening to another edition of the AC Podcast. We'll come back next week with more stuff to think about. Until then, take care. Take care.